0: Welcome to the Men Made For More podcast, a show designed by men, for men, looking to get strong, feel confident, and live a high-performing life. As men, we face many challenges as we try and strive for a better life. You wanna live a meaningful and confident life, but you don't know where to start. You've lost your physical and mental edge. It's keeping you from living out your full potential. You're tired of talking about doing big things and you're ready to start living it. With the Men Made For More podcast, our goal is to teach you how to strengthen your body, your mind, and your purpose, on your way to reaching your full potential. It's time to start living as the man you know you can be to help lift those up that matter the most in your life. Every week, we'll have a featured guest who will share valuable information and experience to give you actionable strategies you can apply to live as the man you were made to be. We'll draw on our guest's knowledge and experience, and more importantly, we'll discuss how this applies to the common challenges and struggles of being a man in today's world. Our goal is to not only build strong men physically, but to help coach and develop strong friends, sons, brothers, fathers, business owners, and professionals in every area of your life. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Pachkowski, proud husband, business owner, physical therapist, and strength coach with a passion for helping other men strengthen their body, their mind, and their purpose. Wherever you're at on your journey, I'm excited to have you here with us today. Now let's dive in to today's episode of the Men Made For More podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to today's guest episode of the Men Made For More podcast. And I'm joined here with Tom Billing. And for a little bit about uh, Tom, before we speak on uh, some, some of his passions and responding to setbacks and doing it, with passion and action. I want to tell you a little bit about Tom's background. He's a Muay Thai coach, a pugilism researcher. Hope I'm saying that right. And here comes the next one, a VIM practitioner and author of Undying Glory, a new book he just released, The Solar Path of Greek Heroes. He started practicing Thai boxing almost 20 years ago. He spent several years in Asia where he continued to train as well as exploring Southeast and East Asian culture. His use of functional training for combat sports conditioning led him to VIM, the traditional training system of Indian wrestlers. The system uses the gada mace along with several other training tools and bodyweight exercises. Tom worked with William Calvani on the War Yoga Project, which he now continues with the training manual slated for release in 2021. And Tom has also just finished writing, the, writing a book called Undying Glory, which is a practical treatment of the Greek hero mythos and the ideals it contains that modern men can inspire to. A few weeks ago, he created a new YouTube channel called, I'm gonna mess this one up too, Tom, I'm sorry, Pugilisticus Britannicus that aims to be a library of old british bare knuckle boxing techniques that tom has reconstructed from 18th and 19th century boxing manuals so needless to say tom has some interesting experience some awesome experience and some unique things he's done in his life but i will say he's followed all of it with intense passion and i'm excited for him to share the passion and things he learned along the way through this so listen up guys and let's get started Hey, Tom, welcome to the Men Made For More podcast. I'm really excited to have you on here today. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to come on the show.
1: Thanks, Dave. I'm really excited to be on it. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. I'm excited to learn from you today. But why don't you, for those listening, give a kind of brief overview of your story, personally, professionally, where you're at and what you're up to right now.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I, um, I've basically started out on my kind of... Uh, let's say, martial arts slash fitness slash manhood journey really through um, starting Muay Thai in my very early 20s. Um, I went to Thailand on a vacation with some buddies and uh, discovered that Muay Thai was just this really cool thing, like Thai boxing and So I got back to England and I started training again and just fell in love with the sport. Um, Competed at a very amateur level because I was never actually a very good fighter, but realized very early on that I really enjoyed coaching it and teaching it and ended up coaching several really good fighters back in England in the kind of early 2000s. And in the end, I ended up um, living in Asia for about six years. I actually met my wife out there. Uh, She's American, which is why I live in America now. Um, But she was out there teaching English and um, I was there training Muay Thai uh, and I decided to just bite the bullet and live in live in Thailand and live in Asia for a while. So lived out there, learned a lot of the culture, trained in various things like not just Muay Thai, also did a bit of Lethway, which is uh, Burmese bare knuckle boxing Um, and kind of really got interested in not just Asian culture, but generally even deeper into kind of martial arts and, uh, the origins of that. And, uh, in the end, I ended up, uh, diving into like old British bare knuckle pugilism, which now bare knuckle boxing is a really kind of cool, hot topic. Um, and because of the various promotions like this bare knuckle FC and BKB in England, um, But I was kind of very interested to explore the kind of the early stuff in the kind of 1700s, 1730s onwards. And so I dived into a load of manuals and with my martial arts experience I had from boxing and Muay Thai and Lethway and stuff, I was able to kind of look at those fairly arcane and complex uh, boxing manuals written in really weird old English where, you know, it's just so kind of you know, like it's like a riddle to try and get to the grips with it and ended up kind of figuring out, oh, they must mean this because that body movement's got to be this. You know, it's the only way that it actually makes any sense. Um, And so I kind of reconstructed some of that. And I've been working on a lot of uh, recently, I've been working particularly on um, trying to put out a lot of bare knuckle content, like uh, bare knuckle pugilism. And I define the difference between modern bare knuckle and pugilism by just using that word pugilism because modern bare knuckle sport is more like just modern boxing without gloves whereas pugilism was this whole other thing with grappling and lots of things you're not allowed to do anymore um so that's that side of things with the boxing but that also led me into um more with the to do with conditioning for combat sports i'd always done kind of Well, not always done, but I've done some lifting and things like that, and kind of old fashioned, kind of uh, not very functional strength training. And uh, then I kind of discovered kettlebells and suddenly realized I loved those a lot more than I like lifting, like barbells and dumbbells and stuff, and kind of playing with that for a while. And that brought me into contact with what uh, a guy called Paul Wolkovinski was doing with gadders and traditional mace training um and so i kind of dove down that hole and like started uh i made a couple of gadders, and they were terrible but they they worked and the first one i made was way too heavy and i couldn't shift it and so i had to make a lighter one and then i i could swing it and i really enjoyed it um end up um really getting into doing gadders, and then discovering that it was part of the whole system in india called VIAM which is uh the indian so the india have kushti wrestlers who are you know do traditional indian wrestling and their strength and conditioning system includes gathers but all sorts of other tools and bodyweight exercises and so i really got fascinated by that and that brought me into contact with a, a guy called william calvani um who has since gone kind of offline completely so is it you can't find any of the stuff he was putting out and, but Mick, he and i went with paul Wolkovinsky, uh, the guy who got me into the whole thing in the first place we ended up the three of us going to india last summer training in all the wrestling uh akara's there which was really cool um so we've been i was sort of developing this project with william which he created which is called war yoga Uh, And I'm working on that, particularly next year, 2021, or, you know, trying to kind of further that knowledge and that base of knowledge and put it out there. Um, And then aside from that, I've also just uh, written a book, um, which is called Undying Glory, The Solar Path of Greek Heroes. Uh, and that draws from various things from my experience. Um, I'm half Greek. So growing up, I was really, really fascinated by Greek myths. And I've always had this kind of love of, of Greek mythology and Greek history. I was actually an archaeology major at university, but then never took it anywhere. Uh, just did it because I liked it. And then um, uh, so I this year when lockdown happened, I ended up kind of, all my kind of paid work just evaporated for a, for a short while. It's ended up coming back again, but um, I was just at this point where I had nothing to do. And um, what I have done professionally for a long time is I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a writer and a copywriter. So I thought, well, why not write something I actually really want to write? And so I r- kind of reconnected with that Greek mythology because I suddenly realized there was this kind of common thread running through it, this kind of this hero myth. And the, there's almost like a kind of a path that's been laid out, um, which is what I call the solar path, because it seems to um, it, 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 it has these very kind of solar, bright, light elements. And it's, it really is something that I, I realized applies just as much to men today. As it did to, to men in the past, and while that's not the only interpretation of Greek myth, I just found this quite interesting common thread. And so, uh, the book effectively unpacks that and um, really advances uh, these uh, this heroic ideal as a, as an ideal for modern men too. So that's where I've been. That's that's where my journey has led me so far. So right now, I'm on my books come out. I've, um, I'm going to be building on war yoga over the next year and kind of reintroducing those concepts to people. And, um, I'm also doing a, a bare knuckle library on YouTube called pugilisticus Britannicus, where I'm actually going to put out what I've learned from those boxing manuals. So it's pretty, pretty busy time. Yeah.
0: Thanks for sharing all that time. A lot of, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff, uh, at least in my world, stuff that I'm not as familiar with. And I, I want to get into a little bit of that I was taking some notes as you were writing to some questions I had and, and sure. first one that came up in, in relation to your book is just, was this something that you had been thinking about writing for a while? was, it was this kind of on the back burner, but just never had the time for it or talk me through kind of how that the evolution of the book writing itself.
1: Yeah. So I'd always thought I had a book in me and then I never had the time for it. Um, and, and never really dedicated time to think too much about it. And then I'd I'd uh, been thinking over this idea of the 12 labours of Heracles. And I was thinking, Her- or sometimes Hercules, people know, but in Greek he's called Heracles. Um, and I realised that those 12 labours had kind of a hidden message in them almost. You know, there was little, little nuggets of information that were, you know, you could read it as just a kind of fancy story, or you could see it as steps towards, because Heracles is basically born as a, as a demigod uh, he's the son of Zeus, but he's he would die a normal man's death and live a normal man's life. But through these 12 labors, he basically becomes a deity. He becomes like, uh, actually almost a state which I'm calling like solar man, which is like above the gods, because he gets to live this human life and then transcend into a kind of a godly state through his own actions, through his own deeds. And they had this kind of thing mulling over in my head and thinking god that's really interesting you know you could probably i could probably write a pamphlet you know a little leaflet or something about that or a small you know small magazine release kind of thing and i so i started writing it when when lockdown happened i was like okay i'm gonna do it and suddenly i realized there's so much more to it than this this just this is this is i've finished the 12 labors of, of heracles and i thought there's more. I'm not, there's something I'm missing here. Like, I'm going to look at the other myths again. And so I started looking at the other big hero myths. And I just found that they also had similar ideas, at least as I saw them, in these myths. So I found uh, that the th- three earliest heroes in Greek mythology, who are Cadmus, Perseus and Bellerophon, they all have things worthy of, of looking at in their myths. Um, Theseus has things worthy in his myths. And then Jason from Jason of the Argonaut fame also has a story there, which is interesting. And I found this kind of common thread. And so I realized very quickly, oh, this is going to become a book. It's not just going to be a pamphlet. And um, yeah, so I started writing it. It it kind of wrote itself, if I'm being honest with you. I almost felt like I wasn't writing at one point. I felt like it was just kind of coming out as though it was like beamed out of the ether you know um and and then i finished it and um i talked to several people i knew in my network and one of one of whom is a is a publisher um and and he just expressed interest straight away in it so i was very fortunate actually um and and yeah we've been working together on the last edits and um it's been a kind of really interesting process. It's just a rip roaring time, like less than a year. And suddenly I'm, you know, I'm there with a finished book.
0: Yeah. Cause that, cause that's totally amazing to me. And, you know, regardless of the content of a book, a book's not easy, easy to write. And to do that during, during lockdown, I feel like, you know, when, when all this stuff initially hit earlier this year, there's, there's people that, kind of took advantage of it and said, Hey, I have all this, I I have this time now, here's the stuff I've been putting off and taking action on it. But then there's other people that, you know, a few months went by and they maybe things dragged out longer than they want. And they had this time, but they didn't use it the best. People actually got out of shape or didn't, you know, didn't pursue those things because, because of, you know, and and I'm not, I'm not fully sure on, on what reasons, but that's where I'm kind of curious of, of, have you always been the type to just like jump right into things? and, And was that uh was it just like here's lockdown I'm going to start writing a book cuz that that seems like a something that a lot of people would procrastinate on or would put off or would think about how daunting of a task that really is what uh is that in line with with how you usually are or
1: was there was there something yeah. different with this this process no, no i'm i'm i guess I'm a fairly enthusiastic human being so once something kind of grabs me i just go all in um and um yeah i guess with this it it's no Like it's no different from other things really. Like when I, when I lived in Asia, I suddenly realized that there's always really cool temples everywhere. So I then, as soon as I, when I was there, I was like, right, I'm going to take advantage of this completely. And so I just explored literally hundreds of temples and, at one point I had a website. Um, it's still online, but it's very old and it hasn't been, <laughs> it hasn't been touched for years uh, called the temple trail where I used to just go to the, I used to write up all these temples and the stories of them. So it kind of is in line with, with, with the way that I've generally operated. And I guess, yeah, there's a part of me that was during lockdown was like, yeah, now I can just hang out and read some books and work out, which I did that too. Um, but, you know, I got to also, I just also thought, well, what, a, what an opportunity, you know, what's a golden opportunity to do something really productive with that time that would have been eaten up by, you know, work instead. Mm-hmm. Or Netflix for some people. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. No, and pints of ice cream.
0: Yeah. Right. No, that, that, that's totally awesome. Congrats on the, on the book, Thanks. by the way. That's a, we'll, we'll include that in the, in the show notes for, for anyone that's interested in, in checking that out. But it, it's just, it's fascinating to me that you did that. Cause I know a lot of people that say like, someday I want to write a book. And, you know, I've even found myself thrown around language like that of like, oh, sometime maybe in my, maybe in my forties or maybe my fifties, I want to write a book. And, and I haven't had inspiration come to me to, to necessarily have something I want to write on. But I, I know a lot of people saying like, oh, maybe way down the road. And I think a lot yeah. of that's just because it is a, a daunting thing. So to be able to do that in, in that amount of time, but it it sounds like that's, you know, something you've always kind of had embedded in you
1: i have but i mean it did so so i actually turned 40 this year um so i actually it i I, I started the book at 39 and finished at 40 so i mean when i i also had been saying in my phone one day i'll write a book but i guess it, it did just take until i was about 40 to actually just do it you know
0: that's awesome! Yeah, happy birthday, by the way. And uh, it's, it sounds like, it sounds <laughs> nice. like it was a very uh, a fairly seamless process. You said it kind of wrote itself, but were there any yeah. kind of stumbling blocks in there? Any times where you thought about giving up, or any 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 doubts you had about like, uh, are people going to actually want to read this? Is this you know any of those things creep in as you as you're
1: writing it? Yeah, they still do, I guess. Um, so, like, there weren't many stumbling blocks when I was writing it because it really did just kind of. It just appeared as if if by magic almost. So I I was very lucky in that regard. But yeah, even, even when I was writing, there were moments where like, does anyone really care about this or is it just me? And what I realized was, I guess, was that I was kind of writing it for me. So even if nobody really wanted to read it apart from me, at least i'd gone through that process and i'd I'd created something that i was really proud of and i really liked and i would have wanted to read so i wrote it from the point of view of a it wrote it's like i said it wrote itself but like at the same time i was also i had in the back of my mind always would i want to read this And, and in the end i kind of created something that that i would like to i would have bought and read myself basically
0: that's cool. And to kind of reframe the reason you're writing it too, where some people, if they're if they're relying too much on external uh validation and things, I'm sure it can be I'm sure those doubts can creep in more versus something that you're truly passionate about, happy with, you're proud of the work you put in is a, a nice a nice different perspective to have on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 a very gratifying process, I think. You know, I mean I enjoyed it. And I the hardest bit actually is the editing process so you have to kind of hand your baby off uh to an editor uh and i'm friends with my editor he's you know from the i've I've made friends with him basically over the course of this year and and he's very very good um but every time it comes back to you it's a little bit different and you have to look through and say no i don't like that or i like that um but ultimately a good editor is always going to make you look better you know they're going to clean up your kind of waffly kind of you know extra language and just cut it out completely but the hardest part really is reading your book about five or six times at least in the editing process and you kind of you kind of just like okay I've read this book (laughs) so many times now I just want it finished you know so that's the hardest bit I think yeah whole process
0: you're like I know how it's gonna end so I I don't know (laughs) why.
1: exactly exactly that's great. yeah exactly that.
0: i want to circle back on some of the, a lot of a lot of martial arts background a lot of fighting background what what initially mm-hmm. attracted you to that was it more the mental side of things the physical side of things combination or, or how did you find yourself so so deep into some of those things
1: Hmm. well i guess my first so my first contact with muay thai was uh when i was at university um there was uh, another guy, and uh, so England, England, we've got a bit of a reputation. or we used to. I'm not so sure now. I, I don't live there anymore, but we used to. When when I was young, there was a reputation of people liking to kind of drink and fight and stuff like that, and be a little bit rowdy. And there was a guy who had this like amazing reputation for being really tough. When I was at university and he was, and he knew Muay Thai, so everyone thought, like, oh, he knows Muay Thai, so don't mess with him. So I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds really cool. You know, like that's like, so I le- looked about Muay Thai. So, oh, yeah, it's like boxing, except you can do like kicks and elbows and knees. And I was like, wow, yeah, I'm not going to mess with that guy. Um, and so, yeah, that's m- my introduction to it was that. And then, then I went to Thailand and I, I was like, oh, they've got to see this Muay Thai stuff, you know. Uh, and I saw it. I saw some fights in the stadium and I ended up training in a gym there um, just briefly and just thought this is this is great you know I just felt really good and I felt kind of a bit tough you know (laughs) know? which is kind of silly really but I just I kind of felt a bit tough and then um I got back to England and I was like right I'm gonna train I'm gonna try this out because I wasn't really an exercise person I always found like exercise to be quite boring in a way um and then um I ended up Going to my first class of Muay Thai, and I was kind of terrified of walking into that gym because you kind of think, "Oh, it's going to be full of big, tough guys who are going to beat me up." And I um, I went in, and everyone was really, really friendly and nice. And I ended up having this just amazing training session where I just, just like I, I really worked hard. I was exhausted, but just felt brilliant felt alive and great and really kind of excited and it just it became an instant addiction almost you know I was just like right I've I've I'm gonna do more of this and then I just dove straight in and I started uh, going to Thailand a couple of times a year to go and train out there to supplement what I was training in England and I was training I trained in Holland with a guy called Raymond Deckers who's a really famous Kickboxer is no longer with us but he's a legend of the sport so i was trying to seek out these people that were like really the the top of this sport and you know in thailand i was very lucky to train with some uh, a place called jitty gym which was home to um some really famous fighters who i've ended up becoming friends with um and so i trained with a there's a guy called liam harrison um and i met him he's like one of the top fighters in the world even today um and he's an Englishman too, so we—it's easy to connect with those guys. And um, and it was just like I had this amazing opportunity. It was this kind of whirlwind of like meeting kind of heroes, but at the same time, they were really down to earth, and we we're all just doing the same work at the same time together. And that kind of it, just the whole culture behind it, as well as the physical aspect, just it just grabbed me, and it was just this—it it was an instant love affair, basically. And so that's how i kind of got into martial arts it was it was just this kind of it was a cultural and uh and physical sensation actually of doing it it just kind of grabbed me
0: that's cool and the the guy at the bar that inis- initially uh motivated you to to be more tough <laughs> right the guy the guy's getting yeah. in a fight. That's, that's a that's an awesome start to the story but all the other stuff super uh super cool and it really cool how you you uh you know really reached out to these people and these people that you could learn from and grow from. And I think a lot of people are, you know, and martial, martial arts aside, like people are intimidated to, to do that and to reach out to to people that can help advance them and help. Uh, like you said, it might be because they're intimidated because you think they're these heroes or they're, that they're not down to earth. Or what do you, you know, what do you see as a, uh, as barriers that might stop people from, from reaching out and, and seeking out help and, and what uh, you know, how did you kind of go about that of
1: even like getting in
0: contact mm-hmm. with these people? Well,
1: so I've, I've always been kind of pretty much, I mean, for that's such a hackneyed phrase, a people person. So I've always always been very talkative and very personable and like to talk. I love talking to people comes from my mother She and, and my father, actually. My mother, being a Greek, was extremely talkative and would sink a hit, hooks into somebody like within five minutes, she'd know their whole life story. Um, and my father was a university lecturer, so he was he was also quite talkative. So I've developed that gene, I guess. So uh, from that point of view, that gives me a bit of an advantage. But <clears throat> I guess something that would really put people off um, approaching their idols or people who they see as being, you know, very important in this, in a sport or in something they're interested in, it's probably they worry that they're just going to be rejected outright. Uh, or like, oh, I can't talk to them. I'm not on their level. And ultimately people are people, you know, I mean, you know, just because you're not as good at them as them at this sport doesn't make you any less of a person than they are. You know, they, they, you know, eat and sleep and go to the toilet and do everything else that all of the rest of us do <clears throat> so if you kind of just look at them like you know well what's the worst they can do reject me and then i'll kind of think they're kind of a bit of an asshole basically um then then that's the worst thing it's not too bad so there's nothing to really to stop you at least reaching out you know i mean um if you know if people reach out to me, then I'm going to I'll do my absolute best to answer any questions they have about something I know about. And in my experience has been that these really f- sort of important people in their disciplines did did that to me. So I don't see why they would be any different to anybody else. Yeah, really, re-
0: really great way to put it. And I, I think uh, fear rejection is huge. And I think though, like you said, I, I found that as well, people are, are willing to help if you're you know, and as long as you're not leading with with only trying to take from the relationship or you got to be a little strategic about how you present things and approaching them in a way that you can maybe add some value to and and share why why it's so important that you're excited about these things. But most yeah. people generally speaking I found are, are very willing and eager to help if if you're passionate, if you're going to follow through if you're accountable to what you say you're going to do and, and mm-hmm. those types of things if you're not pretty much if you're not flaky, then you know people are are willing to to help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's been my experience. You know, I mean, i everybody that I've ever learned from has been someone that I've just said, Hey, can you show me this? Or can I, can I, you know, I really love that thing. You know, it's just so cool. And like, you know, can you just, if you don't mind, can you just tell me this thing? And, and people tend to just open up because people like to share what they've got, like in martial arts, in all sorts of physical disciplines, I guess people, pe- people, don't have secrets, and if they do, it's kind of weird because, like, there's nothing. There's nothing new under the sun. So your secret isn't really your secret. It's something that somebody else has also done in the past, also knows about. And so, you know, how how can you keep that to yourself and not share that with other people? That's my feeling, anyway.
0: Yeah, it's great. And I, uh, you know, the f- people focus on the fear of rejection. Or they focus on the risk of what what could go wrong <laughs> if I do this versus focusing on how much that can help them or accelerate their their training or accelerate their career. Cause you don't have to put an exact number on it, but would you say it significantly sped up the the process of you were trying to do that all
1: on your own? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, it, you know, if I hadn't every time I, I, I would work with somebody who who is just an elite level in something and just, and was a good teacher. Cause there's a, there's a difference there too. Cause some people are really good at something, but are terrible at transmitting that information but when you can work with someone who's just got those two elements, they are very good at what they do, and they are, if not very good, at least capable of passing that on to you. It's a huge acceleration. I mean, you know, I like, for example, with, the, with working with, like, the, the, the mace, the gada, I, um, I was pretty good at it. Um, but I kind of figured it out by watching other people. And then I actually met with uh, Paul Walcavinsky, who was the guy who I started watching the videos because he came to Connecticut, where I live. And just there was two things that I'd really struggled on, and one of them at least was with actually was with Indian clubs because I've tried the Indian clubs. And, you know, they're very if to be very good at Indian clubs, you have to be pretty well mind body connected in a way that I'm not quite there. Um, there was a move. I was like, I don't know how to transition. I, don't, I tried and I tried and I tried. And I just asked Paul, cause he was there. I said, Paul, how'd you do this? And he just two minutes got me doing it, you know, cause he knew what to do. He knew exactly how to do it. And he knew exactly how to teach it. And so that just two minutes with that person who really knew what they're doing solved a problem, which I hadn't been able to solve in probably about two years.
0: Amazing. And see that, see that a lot of people and, and they, they put off seeking out help and, and we, we can, we can uh, classify help. as it a uh, like informal reaching out for mentors, like seeking out people that you may already know. And, and then also like formal help of actually hiring a trainer or a coach or those things, but right. it speeds up. And I, I ran this the first time I started getting coaching for our business and now coaching other stuff personally is it just accelerates things exponentially like in Absolutely. ways that, I, I don't know. I, I wish I would've done it sooner because you know, you, you save years of frustration and time and trying things and it's okay if you want to go down that route. I think there's value in learning on your own and not just jumping right into that, but it's a, uh, it, it's something that can, if, if you feel like you're struggling with something, like you got to put yourself out there and, and seek help in those areas.
1: Oh, absolutely, especially especially if you've been doing it for a little while, you know that you like it, and you know you've kind of found that you can do some things, and then that's a critical point because there's that moment where that little bit of help there will just kind of launch the next stage, next step in your development in something, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so true. And, uh, I want to, want to circle back on some of you mentioned a couple of times, I actually wrote uh, one of the first notes I wrote down when you started talking, and then you mentioned it here again. So a good segue in, but you mentioned you were a good, uh, or not, not a very good athlete, but you found out you were good at, at coaching. And I think we, we run into a lot of people that are, that maybe they excel at something in, in sport or in, you know, a physical feat, but they don't know how to, how to coach it or communicate it. What do you think separates a good, uh, a good coach from some, someone who's just uh, simply simply good at doing it where's that where's that uh you know difference between okay i'm a good i'm a good fighter i'm a good athlete now what what separates them from the good coaches that can actually communicate that and create other good athletes along with that
1: yeah that's a good question so it's kind of interesting because you i've encountered some amazing fighters but the problem is is they Without thinking, know how to do it, and they've never really put the pr- thought process in through all the details that lead up to that technique. Let's say so. For example, you know somebody who's a really good kicker in Muay Thai. I've had Thai coaches or and, and English coaches who've just said, "Well, you just kick it, just kick, you know, just just do that, just turn your hip, just and and, and for them, they just." They know what they're doing. They know exactly how to do it, but for them, they can't empathize with uh, the person who doesn't know how to do it because they've always kind of known how to do it. And then at the same time, there's sometimes this kind of communication barrier where they're just like they, they, can't, they can't string together all the little details, but in a way that doesn't overwhelm someone so you've got sort of this fine line to walk where you have to first of all put yourself in the shoes of the person who is struggling to do it because I know I could do it but I also know they can't do it and I can see what they're doing wrong but rather than like you know forcing every single point on 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 so what I what I'll do and I think myself as a good coach, maybe, yeah, I don't think i haven't had any problems so far. Maybe, maybe someone would disagree that I don't know, but I've got say I've got somebody and I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach them a the technique. I, I tend to run through the entire body mechanic quite, first of all, I show it quite fast and then I'll slowly run through and I'll pick up on every single detail running through, but once I get them doing the technique, I don't try and pick apart every single thing they're doing wrong. What I will do is I will focus on the the biggest thing, which is stopping them. And then I'll just make sure that thing's fixed. And once that thing's fixed and they're doing it naturally and happily, then we can look at something else that they can do to improve. So instead of just either just saying, oh, you're doing it wrong, just do it right, like some people do, and instead of sort of picking on every detail throughout every single time they perform a technique, I think focusing on something until it's kind of at least, not if not perfect, then at least up to a better level. And then you can start looking at other things that they're doing and then slowly building it. And eventually someone's just going to get all those parts and, and then they'll understand properly, I guess. Yeah, I, No,
0: I, I love that. And I, I, uh, I see a lot of applications with that from – you know, we, we look at say our physical therapy business and someone comes in and you see them squat and you're like, Whoa, like, okay, we got a lot of things to work on, but let's, let's, let's try one. You don't, you don't tell them that you don't say like, well, this is a mess and this is a train wreck and this and that you, right. you find, you find one thing to, to mm-hmm. focus on And same thing. And, you know, with the, the clients I, I coach, some of our high performance coaching clients, it's like, they come in and they're like, there's a lot of things wrong. They're, they're a uh, their uh, schedules a mess. Their priorities are a mess. They're doing these yeah. things, and you you can't overwhelm them either. Though with that, like whenever you're working with people, it's it's identifying that okay, what are the what are the one or two key things here that we need to that we need to change. And yeah, if we if we find the right the right keys in those things, then a lot of those other things tend to fall into place. Versus saying, here's a list of thirty things you need to improve. Yeah, like, <laughs> right.
1: right. Come back,
0: come back when you have these figured out, and they'll be like right is this guy yeah, crazy no yeah. Way.
1: Yeah, yeah no way yeah, yeah quick but, way to lose somebody <laughs> yeah
0: but focusing on the and i think that you know even ties into you writing a book and some of these things like focusing on all the things that you need to do if you if you really sat down and wrote a wrote a list of all the things you need to do to write a book the list would yeah. probably be crazy but what did you what did you probably do start start writing
1: yeah i just started writing Right, I started writing and then realised they need to grow. This bit needed to get bigger, and this didn't need to get. bigger. Oh, I, you know, found something here that I need to dig into and explore. You know, so that's just yeah. It's it's kind of a similar process, I guess. You 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 can't just look completely at the big picture. You know, I mean, it's good to see the big picture from, you know, from, a with, a especially as a coach and seeing, okay, I can see everything's going hit, but you can't focus on just, okay, all of these things need to be done. You, you know, you just have to be, okay, let's, let's do what I can do right now in this time. And that's what I can do now. This is what we can improve right now. This is what we can work on right now. You know?
0: Yeah. I love it. And that's whether good coaches, good leaders, good, you know, when you're dealing with people in general, it's this, there's this, uh, kind of skill. it's almost like a dance between seeing the big picture and then being able to to bring it into some minute, some fine details, but then also keeping the big picture in mind. if if we if we get stuck on either one of those, the people that are always looking uh, big picture and all these things to do and all these things they want to accomplish, but they don't know how to you know, day in, day out, accomplish those things and follow through on those things, then they're not going to get anywhere. But if someone's so like head down in the weeds and just working, working, working without stepping back and seeing where they're going, they might be making a lot of progress, but not in the areas that are needed the most. Exactly,
1: exactly, exactly right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing. It's really cool to hear you say that cause see that a lot. And I think that can apply to so many people listening, whether that's, you know, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's a, said writing a book, a job thing, trying to lead people. That's a a good, good rule of thumb there. Anything else that stands out from a a coaching standpoint that uh, you tend to see the difference between simply good fighter, good athlete versus good coach. Uh,
1: I mean, really it's a matter of a matter of communication some people are very good at teaching something you know some some people are just able to uh, make those minor adjustments and and convey to somebody and and communicate somebody what what they're doing but also why because what i've found is is if i just tell someone oh you you should do this they want to know why because if they don't know why if there's no reason behind the the adjustment or the 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 work that you're doing then people just say well that's just the way you do it that doesn't mean it's the way it's done and actually you know if you if you explain something well the re- you do do this because of this and because it'll help you with this or because this is the end result of what we're trying to do here um people are going to say, Oh, great. Now I know. And they're going to actually put more energy into that knowing why they're going, why they should do it. That's another thing I think.
0: Yeah. That's great. I love that. The what and the why with that too, yeah. where people, people need to know both. If you just, if you just tell them one of the, if you just tell people the why and yeah. don't tell them how to do it, they'll be like, yeah. okay, that's great. I know that's important, but yeah, right. Give me some more with that.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there needs to be that there needs to be the context of what you're doing. You know I mean? So, for example, if I'm teaching some pad techniques for somebody, I'll, and a reason I'll string together a couple of techniques, people just say, "Oh, well, that just looks fancy" or something. And I say, "Well, no, you know, if you if, if if you if you hit somebody here, then they're they're going to tend to react in a certain way, which is going to open up this other thing. So that's why we're going to follow up with this, or you know, and once you kind of start building that into people's mind and and also kind of trying to kind of uh foster a certain mindset as well in who you're coaching um you know they're going to be much more receptive to what you're teaching them you know if you're not only teaching them how to do this thing but also kind of building them up psychologically to feel like much better about themselves and much better about what they're doing ultimately that's got to be one of the main main goals in coaching anyone is is not just improving that thing but being able to make them feel good about themselves which can translate into sort of all these other areas of life you know
0: yeah that's that's great i I love that too the the mindset behind it and uh, another thing with mindset too that uh, something I wanted to ask you is, you know, we, we talk with a lot of a lot of the clients I work with, a lot of the you know people trying to achieve health, and I think uh you know, I think fighters seem to do a really good job with this is is around habits and whether you're whether you're a fighter, whether you're an athlete, whether you're just a you know business owner trying to uh, take your business to the next level, the the daily habits become so important for, for getting yourself to the next level. What are, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the the key habits having surrounded yourself around some of these, these really great coaches and fighters? What are some of the key, uh, you know, habits or, uh, consistencies you can pick up on that separated maybe the, the average from the, the excellent.
1: Okay. That's kind of interesting. Cause what I've found, uh, is that things have changed a lot over the last few years. When I first started there were a lot of bad habits like a uh, lot of especially in the English English Muay Thai scene uh, which is a really great right very very high level fighting scene for Muay Thai um, but there's a lot of bad habits because people tended with their natural English inclination towards drink and having a good time, would kind of train hard and, you know, get up to that fight, they fight and then they just kind of go off the rails for a couple of weeks. And then it would be that whole process of kind of rolling people back in. And what, what's really, what really happened there is the, the fighters with a lot more longevity. And I think it, it's not just that it's in, across all sports, even things like soccer and stuff. I think that used to happen too. Um, the, 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 just people suddenly realize over time there's some guys that just stuck around longer they just had these longer careers they just they achieved a little bit more and they they weren't going out and cutting loose so much, you know, on the night of the fight after they'd finished, they might have a couple of drinks and, you know, relax that thing, but then, you know, and take a couple of days off training just to recover. And then they'd be straight back in again. And that kind of consistency of always going in and training, you know, you, you don't feel like it, but you still go in, you know, you don't, you you just sort of setting, setting a routine. Uh, and, and actually being really serious about what you're doing instead of just oh well I feel like training today or I feel like doing that today so I'll do it so when you kind of cut out that emotional side entirely and just say well today is this and this is what I do on this day you know it doesn't matter how I feel because you know all of us have that thing where you just you've it's the time to go to the gym and you just think oh I could really just stay at home and you know, sit on the couch because that sound that I'm just not feeling very good today or something like that. But then you you go in anyway and you go in and you do it anyway. And within about 10 minutes, you forget that you felt bad in the first place and you're just doing what you're meant to do and enjoying it. Um, so I've seen a lot of this kind of, so I've seen a lot of the bad habits in the early days, the thing, and I've seen that change into being people being much more routine and scheduled and serious and focused on what they're doing. Um, and these days of course like when i first started there was in in muay thai at least there was there's nothing really about diet you know because so if you go to thailand you just you know there's a very sort of like set in stone routine at a gym so you you're in there at 7 a.m you do about two hours of training you might go for you know 10 mile run and then train and then eat breakfast and then sleep and then wake up again and train from three until six so it'd be like you know quite long sort of five six hour days but the diet side of it was completely neglected because it just ties to just give you like a mountain of fried rice or uh, stuff so like that because it always worked for them so they were just like yeah have that and so that In even in England, the the eating and diet habits never changed. So people just ate what they wanted because you're training hard. And I guess no one ever thought about uh, nutritional stuff. And and that's definitely come in now. And uh, the top guys now in the game are like, they're really, they take real ownership of what they're eating, they take real ownership of, of what they put into their bodies. And I think that's a really critical change. In a good way, in in good habits for these people, because that's why you used to see guys who are great fighters. They retire and suddenly balloon into huge, huge, huge kind of human beings with drink problems. <laughs> they smoke and all that kind of stuff, you know. And and that's really changed, you know. And I think that good habit of actually really taking ownership of of what what you eat and consume, and realizing that that is almost as big a part of it as the actual training itself, you know it's
0: yeah. as big, you know yeah i'd agree 100% and the, the evolution of that's been cool to see in our professional sports and i think across the board i think it's you know there's there's much more you know across all sports that people are realizing the importance of a good strength conditioning program a good nutrition mm-hmm. regimen taking care like recovery doing those things and uh i'm sure many people you know even if we're not talking professional athletes i'm sure some of us can personally relate to this. Others know people who, you know, were always fit when playing sports, maybe in college or something, and they were able to eat whatever, but that, you know, that, that, uh, can give the illusion of, of health when you're, when you're so active, if you're running 10 miles a day, like you're talking and, you know, going through two a day practices and stuff, then you can get away with having all that, but that doesn't mean internally you're healthy. And that doesn't mean it's going to, it's going to last once you get done with keeping up that high level activity, which no one can sustain for a long time. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I mean, the strength and conditioning side of things, is just it's just exploded, too. I mean, like, again, there never used to really be much strength and conditioning. And now it's it's amazing. There's a guy in the UK uh, who I know, he was a fighter and he really realized he was very good at strength and conditioning and a guy called Don Heatrick. And uh, he has now just changed the game entirely by saying, look, Muay type, you have to think about, you know, all of your strength and conditioning and, and the cycles you go through and the way that you approach that. And, and, you know, it's different strength cycles, power cycles, endurance cycles, you know, in that strength conditioning training. And that's really suddenly become this amazing thing for all the young fighters now because they have this access to being able to improve their strength and conditioning in a way that actually is important to the sport, not just, oh I'll go to the gym and, you know, deadlift a couple of times and, you know, uh, maybe hit the treadmill. Which is what it used to be, you know.
0: Yeah, quite, quite the change, and, and having that actually tie into what you're trying to accomplish too is a a big, big component of that.
1: Right. The pro, I mean, pro, I mean, the programming that didn't exist in the <laughs> you know 20 years ago. There were there were there was nobody really programming in at least in Muay Thai as I knew it, and now it's now it's just it's a huge a huge game, and especially a lot of it also comes down to uh, one is just that people seeing it in other sports, but as soon as um, there's kind of money going into a sport in a way, people start taking it a lot more seriously. And um, Muay Thai has recently had a it had a big. Im- big increase initially when mma really took off but then um with the one championship in um which big asian mma and kickboxing uh championship they're actually really paying athlete paying muay thai fighters now which is something that didn't really happen before in the past and so people are suddenly realizing well actually i could i it doesn't have to be like an after I, i don't have to work in this job and then do muay thai uh because i love it and have to pay for my life with like being a electrician or a something like that they can actually just focus on it and that's really been a game changer because now they can really focus on their strength and conditioning on their nutrition and you know programming everything so that it all fits into them becoming like this really great fighter
0: mm-hmm. yeah when it can become a full-time job that's uh right it allows you to take a Take it a lot more seriously, and well, that's the
1: that's the dream, right there, right? right. Most people haven't got that luxury.
0: <laughs> Most people don't have the luxury, but to get to that point, you still have to you still have to treat it with the same intensity and uh, intentionality behind all those different areas So we're talking about. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tom, man, this this has been great. I got a I got a couple more questions for you as we as we wrap up here, but uh, you know, I, I appreciate your insight and in all the the martial arts side of things that with, with, uh, in writing a book too. And, and some of the life lessons you've learned have been, you know, been really inspirational to learn from. And I think I need to need to go write a book now sometime soon when I get <laughs> when, 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 inspiration strikes, but uh, I love how you talk about in the book too. And, and you mentioned how, uh, for men specifically of this, this journey of becoming a hero. And, and you know, one thing that was important when I uh, started this show is, uh, to, you know, to help guys to, you know, become better version of themselves to learn how to take control of their lives and level up their lives in these different areas. But that doesn't come without, uh, struggles and challenges and, and mm-hmm. hardships and those things. And that's, uh, Absolutely. definitely want this to be a place where where guys know that like, yes, we can, we can strive for that and it's going to be worth it, but it's not going to be easy. You're, you're going to mess up. Right. You're going to fail. And, uh, you and I probably both know that, uh, our journeys have been nothing but easy. And, um, yeah. You know the the illusion of of either a self made man or a, a guy that's got it all together is just is just not real life. And I, I would love if you wouldn't mind being vulnerable with people listening. Of do you have any challenges you're you're currently facing or something you've gone through maybe in the last year or so that's uh, ended up being a a catalyst for your growth as a man?
1: Hmm, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I've there's been some very interesting times in my life. So I think the biggest um biggest challenge I had or the biggest biggest single event um in my life that really changed my entire outlook on on life in many ways was um I uh when I first moved to Thailand I was I was in my in my twenties. I was actually when I moved there I was twenty nine. And at that time I was um I was still quite a young man and I liked to kind of drink and, and have a, have a good time. And, um, I guess it kind of, there's a moment where it kind of, it was taking over a bit, you know, it, there was a, there was a danger there. And, and, and I used to go every weekend I'd go out and drink and I'd get too drunk. Um, and one weekend I went out and it's in Thailand and the Thais are very nice, but they uh, if you if they feel annoyed or upset with something you've said or done, they they don't mess around. And um, yeah, I think I I got extremely drunk and probably said something I shouldn't have said or something like that, and I and I got uh, I got attacked. I got a sucker punch from behind and then I got stomped. I mean, I was actually. Um, a friend of mine apparently jumped on me and saved me, but they would have just kept stamp- stamping on my head. And I actually got—I've uh, actually got a metal plate in my face. Um, um, just under my eye orbital, so I got a fracture, six fractures around my eye. Um, and as somebody who could fight, and as somebody who was not worried about—you know—I was able to take care of myself and stuff. But actually losing myself entirely to a sort of abandon you know of a complete chaotic like you know getting drunk to the point where it it, I didn't have control and that that moment having that happen at the time was extremely traumatic I was um you know I had to have surgery in hospital in Thailand and I was pretty fearful of going outside actually um and I I kind of really kind of went into myself and I was lucky that I had uh, my girlfriend and now wife there kind of with me to help, you know, sort of <laughs> help, help look after me a bit really. Um, but I just realized then and there, like, it was just that revel- revelatory moment like this path of it's, it's going to lead nowhere and it's going to lead to somewhere really terrible. Like it, if you, if you go out and, and lose control one day, it, it could be way worse. And I mean, that was a pretty bad time, but so it ended up being like one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life, because even though I was almost killed and felt like had this feeling of total helplessness afterwards and and total fear of going outside, it helped me rebuild a bit because I realized, you know, I need to have more control over myself and I need to, you know, I can't control those guys, but I can control me. I can control how I react. I control my behavior. Um, and so since that point, I basically completely stopped drinking. I'll, I, I'll have a drink once a year or twice a year, maybe. Um, but I kind of was like, no, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. And, um, I, you know, I had I had a lot of – it was a kind of – I'd had a few unhealthy habits too, but it really was just like, no, this now I've got to take control and I can't live in, and and in the book, in a way, I talk about um, these two concepts, which are, so there's two, two of the Greek gods, Apollo and Dionysus, and they kind of, while they're brothers and they have some connection, they, they represent two kind of opposite directions. Like Dionysus is this kind of God of uh, revelry and drink and, uh, and complete abandon and chaotic abandon. And Dionysus is this God of like light and order, um, and it was that moment, I guess you could say, that I kind of I've been on this Dionysian path of of kind of I was kind of going a bit more chaotic, and this event just turned me around, and I just was like, I just thought, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna completely change all these things and just take control of myself, uh, my behaviors, and the way that I uh, react to the world. And it's an ongoing process. I mean, you know, I can't say I've got it all sorted out now, but what I realized is is that, you know, each step forward on that path is a positive step. You know, you can't change all things, but that traumatic experience made me realize you can't just leave everything in to fate and to other people to sort out. And you've just got to be like, I'm going to take control and I'm going to make the forward positive progress that i need to make to basically realize who is who is who is tom and, and and what's the ultimate version of me i can be you know
0: yeah tom i love that i appreciate you sharing that i you know applaud you for just it seems like in line with your character just going all in on it too and not being yeah. like oh i'll just give it up on one night a week or this or that yeah. but but really committing to it and uh yeah those those events they they suck at the time i we all have them. We, we encounter these things, but we can use those as opportunities to, you know, feel, feel sorry or fill with guilt or shame, or we can use those to really, you know, make a change and use, use those as an opportunity to, to grow. So I appreciate you sharing that and hopefully, uh, can encourage someone that is listening that maybe they find themselves on this path that they're not really happy about. Like you also don't have to wait for that big event. Oh, absolutely.
1: I wish I didn't, you know? Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Cause uh, you know, if you feel yourself drifting that way, then it's, you know, there, it's, it's never too late to, to put your, no. put your foot in the ground and, and change directions to start taking votes for who you want to be.
1: Right. And, and the thing is, you know, you know that you're heading the wrong way. So like, you know, before the, that event happened, I knew it wasn't, I wasn't behaving well. I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't on a path I should be on. I knew I was heading in the wrong direction, but for some reason you just say, well, you know, just, just another night out or just one more of that thing. And actually the, the moment you could just say, no, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to do that now. I, I know the way I should be going and I'll start making moves in that direction. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to just pivot and do this thing now, but you, you can definitely when you realize that you're headed the wrong way you can change that.
0: Yeah, uh, I love that. Tom, it's been it's been so great. The uh, you know I was taking a lot of notes as, as we went, and we we covered we covered a lot of things, a lot of uh, you know a lot of good life experiences and things. Uh, to highlight a few of the things I jotted down is the importance of of seeking help from from mentors, from other people in your life that can help accelerate progress. The ability to see both big picture and small picture at the same time. So this dance between seeing the big picture, but then okay, what's the you know, what do I actually need to be doing day to day, but also being able to step back and, and see the big picture again, to know if you're heading in the right direction. And right. Then I also love what you said about uh, communicating and being able to communicate the what and the why to people of yeah. not just one one or the other, isn't going to, isn't going to get them to, uh, to follow in the way that you want to. So making sure you're communicating both those things. So those were just yeah. a few of the things I could add on, you know, take, take action immediately with, with you writing your book. I, I think that was an awesome thing as well. Is, it, is there anything standing out to you that you want to add to some of those things?
1: No, not really um I think I think uh that's a really nice summary. It makes me sound a lot better than I am actually <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's right, and you know you basically you know everybody kind of knows what is uh right and wrong, but people tend to tend to just be cruising in their lane and not thinking I'll take an active change on something. Whereas what, what you really have to do is, is yeah, look at that big picture and say, okay, I, I, maybe I like it or maybe if you don't like it, you can say, okay, so that's my big picture. That's a picture of me. What don't I like? Well, I, I don't really like this or I don't really like that. So you could start taking steps and, and then focus in on those little things and say, okay, I'll change this about my, my lifestyle. I'll change this thing about my life, and then, you know, when that becomes a habit that you're, you know, doing without really thinking about it, you can then reassess it again. You know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, really well said. And uh, last, last hypothetical scenario here. Going to ask you, uh, ask all the guests here as we as we wrap up, and uh, I'm going to be excited to hear your answer because just for context, you just turned you just turned 40. Yep. So you just, you just wrote a book. You're uh, you're in the stage of life now. And uh, the question relates to 10 years back. So for perspective, that's 30. That sounds like a year after all this stuff happened with your big, uh, your big yeah. life change. But our, yeah. hy- our hypothetical scenario is uh, so you bump into your younger self 10 years back, you're leaving a, leaving a coffee shop, leaving a restaurant in town and you bump into younger Tom of 10 years back. So 30 year old Tom, and he's asking you for some life advice, looking for some guidance, for some perspective, for some wisdom and, uh, you only have 60 seconds to talk with them. You're on your way to an important date with your, with your wife. And I know you're a talker, so you gotta, (laughs) gotta narrow this one in 60 seconds. What, uh, what life advice you given to him? What are, what are you saying to him?
1: Um, I guess I'd say to him, you know, um, first of all, don't, don't take everything too seriously and kind of, enjoy the ride of life because you know you whatever you believe in terms of whether there's a life or an afterlife or not you know that there's this so this is what you've got this is what you've got to work with right now and so you've got to make the best of it so at the end of the whole thing first we've got to enjoy it but at the end of the whole thing do, do you want to be remembered for what you're doing now or do you want to be remembered for something else and do you do you want your name to, if your name lived on beyond your, your physical life, what do you want to be remembered for? And put some energy into that and think about that and, and, and make an impact there. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess like, I guess, I guess that's kind of it really. It's like, what do you want to be remembered for? And, and, and and try and make that happen because this is it, this is your shot. Like you're not guaranteed another one, you know, even if you believe in that or not, you know, that's up to you, but this is what you got to work with. Make sure you make it count, but also enjoy it.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well said, Tom. And that's a, you know, I really think, a lot of guys can benefit from hearing that because there really is a lack of urgency. There's this uh, belief that we have so much time left ahead, and that there's all this time to do stuff. And like you jumped in and writing a book, I want to applaud you for that and for uh, just jumping That's in on right. some of these things because uh, there there is a real lack of urgency when there should be. I think we need to live with more urgency because we don't we don't know. As you saw ten years ago, yeah, like right. I mean, yeah. it,
1: it just seems to get faster too. Like I mean, like I once read a book many years ago called "Why Life Speeds Up as You Get Older," and it's a very interesting book. But it it why or why not? It doesn't matter. It really does seem to get faster. like I can't believe I've I'm now forty. I, I still feel in a way like I'm sixteen years old in 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 a lot, in a lot of ways. <laughs> it just seems like not very long ago. So yeah, you've got to make it count, you know. And you've got to a enjoy it. B, work on things that you want people to remember you for. If you, you know, if that's it. because being remem- being remembered is for something positive is good. You know, um, yeah, that's it. Really, that's, the, that's that's my way of looking at it.
0: That's great, Tom. I've, uh, I've had a blast today. I appreciate you coming on. I, uh, appreciate your, me. your energy, your passion, your, uh, you know, your, you you can tell you're, you're excited about, about this and and about life. And I appreciate that. in you, uh, for those looking to connect with you, where can they, where can they reach out to you? Where can they find you?
1: Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, um, the, the, my, the, Easiest way probably is Instagram, as terrible as that sounds, because um, it is just a very quick, sort of weird little social media thing. But I'm on there. I am Tom Billinge, which is just my name with no spaces or anything just t-o-m-b-i-l-l-i-n-g-e tom billage on instagram um or you can uh, also connect to me through my i've got a new youtube channel about bare knuckle boxing so if that interests you uh, you can check that out and that's called pugilisticus britannicus which is a sort of a mouthful but uh is about british old school bare knuckle pugilism and um yeah otherwise um I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, um, just look me up, Tom Billings, and you'll find a way. And I will, I'll always answer people too. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of old fashioned. I I feel like if someone messages me, then I'm going to, I'm going to get back to you for sure.
0: Yeah. I love that. And where can they find your book? Because it comes out, uh, December 21st, which is, in a few weeks of recording this episode but this uh this episode will launch after the facts so your book will now be live where can they find it
1: right so you can find it on amazon um, is the easiest place so if you just go to amazon.com or code whichever amazon in your country it's going to be available um and uh, also you can get it through my publisher sanctus europa uh, and they have a website sanctus europa.com i guess uh, i guess um, uh, but amazon's probably the the most accessible and easy place for most people so you just Go onto Amazon and look for Undying Glory, or you look for Tom Billinge, and hopefully the book will come up.
0: Absolutely love that, Tom. Thanks again for taking the time. I had a blast, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is really great fun.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Men Made for More podcast. I hope you found today's show valuable and that you have some actionable strategies you can apply to your life today. If this is your first time listening, Thanks for being here. The aim of this podcast is to provide a ton of the best possible content to help you grow in your journey to becoming the best version of yourself. If you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. These subscriptions and reviews help other like-minded men discover the podcast and take the next step in strengthening their body, their mind, and their purpose. If you're a regular listener, I can't thank you enough for investing in yourself in the show. Please make sure to share this with a friend or post on social media and tag me with your favorite part from today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to join the Men Made For More Facebook group to be a part of a community of like-minded men that are elevating their game and living for more by searching Men Made For More on Facebook. Keep challenging yourself, growing, and know that it's okay to get out of your comfort zone and know that you're made for more. Thanks for listening and see you guys soon.